Alright, good evening ladies and gentlemen. Hi, welcome to the first, the inaugural You Haven't Seen podcast. Uh, joining me is Alicia. Hi. And uh, my name is Steven. We'll be talking about movies that we are surprised to find out that the other one has not mm-hmm. seen. For instance, Alicia, have you seen Die Hard? Well, have you ever seen Reservoir Dogs? To my shame, I have not seen Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> and to my shame, you have not seen Die Hard. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I am ashamed to know you. <laughs> I am ashamed to share a home with you. I am ashamed to introduce you to my friends. Because you have not seen the greatest action film ever made. Well, the same goes on my end, too. Reservoir Dogs is arguably the greatest independent film ever made and launched the career of Quentin Tarantino. I've already considered committing seppuku because I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, so shaming me anymore for that isn't really going to (laughs) help. Well, good. You should be ashamed. So, today's two films, Die Hard and Reservoir Dogs, Um, two different, but I going to say after we've watched them, kind of similar films. Very similar themes. Yes. So, why didn't you ever see Die Hard? Yeah, I had no interest in it. I'm a lady. Yeah, yeah, okay. you're a lady, but you've seen Reservoir Dogs, which is maybe more violent and more jarring. Oh, leaps and bounds. But, like, it was always, like, just, like, this action film that I had no interest in, and... I, I don't know. But it's, it's the, never, ac- it's but the but action I never film. I do like action films. I do. Yeah. I do, but I don't, I don't know. It was, I was young when it came out, and then, like, I never, just never saw it. It created a whole genre, Die Hard on a blank. Die Hard on a blank. A whole genre was created due to this movie. Die Hard on a blank? Die Hard on a submarine. Die Hard on a plane oh, in Passenger I 57. Okay. Die Hard with Steven Seagal, because he made a bunch of these. <laughs> but the entire, you know, good guy trapped with bad guys genre basically started with Die Hard. Okay, I can give you that. I saw I saw a lot of that as we were watching it. All right, so Reservoir Dogs. How could you have not seen this film? You've seen other Quentin Tarantino films. I feel like I've seen the film. But I never actually sat down and watched the what, film. What, because of, like, pop culture? Like, pop you knew culture, the like, yeah, yeah, I knew so much about it. People would reference it so much that you eventually get to the point where you know it without really having seen it. Like, I, I kind of uh-huh. got the gist. I think it's like Star Wars. Like, for people who haven't seen Star Wars. Which but, I hadn't. But, but you I had it, and we'll talk about you. that later. Okay. We'll talk about that. That's a, that's a whole nother episode, <laughs> is is your having not seen any Star Wars. And we'll but now go, I love it. And we'll, we'll, right. we'll go with the good and bad there, because you haven't Getting seen all Getting back to the point. Getting back to the point. Getting back to Reservoir Dogs, though, I just, I don't know. It just never came up. Like, it's kind of like The Usual Suspects, which I also haven't seen. Which we'll get into, which we'll get into, which I, I get the references and I get what happened, but I never sat down and actually took the time to like watch the film. But like, like you were saying with Die Hard, like the whole non-linear, non-linear storytelling as like a thing in popular movies, like I feel like this film was something that kind of started that, like... You have the basic plot of the diamond heist gone wrong, but then you're throwing back to how did it go wrong? What were the pieces that put it in place? And I don't know, it became like a thing, and it started kind of after Reservoir Dogs, and I feel like a person who loves film as much as you do should have seen that. You're right. Mm-hmm. I should have. Yes. 
But that's why we're doing this. We're, we're doing this to, to bring to bring each other up to speed, mm-hmm. so to speak, on what exactly it is so, we've missed. All right. So let me ask you this. When you finally saw it, after I made you watch it, mm-hmm. um, what were your initial impressions of the film? Well, I'm, I'm better for it. I liked I liked the film. Okay. Um, I mean, do we do we want to go right into it? I don't know. I think we should. Okay, let's go what right else into would it. You Let, like let's to talk about. Let's go right into Reservoir Dogs then. Yeah, we'll let's. go right into. It. Okay, let's do Reservoir Dogs because it's the better film. Ooh, we'll get to that. <laughs> and there's one thing about Die Hard I think actually is going to make it maybe better, but 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 we'll talk about that at the end. All right. So initial impressions of Reservoir Dogs. It was really good. It was such an ensemble cast that I wish I wish I had seen it earlier now, because of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I love Steve Buscemi, I, I love Michael Madsen, Harvey Keitel's great. Really though, I love Steve Buscemi. I'm going to keep saying that because <laughs> He's I my boy too. I love everything Steve Buscemi is in. So so not having seen this how is are, actually really insane. How it just keeps going back. Name? Steve Buscemi. I I always say Buscemi. Isn't it Buscemi? I don't know which one's right. But I've always said Buscemi. I don't know that's, which one's that's right. That's annoying me for some reason. That's annoying you? I think... We'll look it up later. I think <laughs> okay. most people say Buscemi, but I think it's actually Buscemi. Right. Don't quote me on that. I'm not an expert on the pronunciation well, now, of Steve Well, now Buscemi's it's on audio name. recording, so... Anyway, I he's great He's that. great in everything. He really is, and as Mr. Pink, he's kind of like the voice of reason throughout the entire film. I think that is he's Mr. He's professional, Pink's yeah. Job. Yes, he's... he's Definitely the professional calls out other people for not yeah. being professionals. Is sick of the the bullshit. Yeah, he's the only one that's kind of detached from the whole thing. It doesn't seem like. And well, let's talk talk about the plot a little bit. I mean, what was okay. Reservoir Dogs about? Spoilers. <laughs> True. Uh, but if you haven't seen it like you, me, then go see it. If you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, the spoilers are going to abound at this point, and we'll put like a little notation in where you could pick up if you've seen Die Hard. But you should see Reservoir Dogs. It's fantastic. It was made in 1992. Basically, we would say Tarantino's... It's his first feature film. He had worked on other films before, but this was the one that he took to Sundance and it got all the rave reviews, although it didn't win anything at Sundance. Basic plot, it's a diamond heist gone wrong. There's a team brought together by their boss, Joe, and for different reasons uh, whatsoever, and they all, the movie starts out, they're all sitting around a table discussing Madonna's like a virgin, talking about... Tarantino dialogue. Yeah, which yeah is, just like quick which you, and witty and... Yeah, and you see that, like his fingerprints are all over this movie, mm-hmm. which, is, which is great. Like, I, I really like that, but you can see like in later films where it all started, I, I almost feel like this is like proto-Tarantino, like, like Tarantino hatching. That's what this film was. Because it, it got see, his style out there, yeah, there's which a lot is of now this, a style. There's like a you, lot of this in Pulp Fiction, yeah, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. It's totally a style, and mm-hmm. like the that whole opening scene, they they talk for like ten minutes, just going around a table at a restaurant, and then you get into the iconic. All right, we gotta do the job. They're walking in slow motion to Little Green Bay. <laughs> All it needed was doves flying in the background, <laughs> and it would have been a Michael Bay film. How dare you compare Reservoir Dogs to a Michael Bay film? Just explosions. And that dogs. that is 
blasphemous. I'll tell you what I will That com- is blasphemous. I'll tell you what I will compare Reservoir Dogs to now that I've seen it. <laughs> what? It's like if Ocean's Eleven went terribly wrong. Hmm. It, it, it's like, yeah, it's like what would happen if Ocean's Eleven actually was real and it went really, really badly. <laughs> Because, okay, I think that's a bit of a stretch. It's really. a bit of a stretch, but it, like the rapport that they have, especially in the diner, and when they're getting their like code names and stuff, and how they're all bantering back and forth, okay. I think there's a very similar. But I mean, a lot of caper movies. I think this movie kind of plays with the caper movies because it's older than that too. If you go back to like The Sting or mm-hmm. um, even older, which Sinatra I believe films. like Tarantino has said, like The Sting is oh, one of his favorite films. I can you can see you can see that he was heavily influenced by like a lot of old old crime films when it comes yeah. to when it comes to this so yeah i mean i think that's really that. great yeah and i love old crime film like that and i love his his non-linear style of like telling the story i think he does a really good job very then, much so so getting back to the plot they they go off to do their diamond heist it goes from like this really slow motion as you call michael bay-esque walking credits into hey, michael bay could pick worse directors to rip off he could. He definitely could. And that's what he does. He rips off good directors. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That might have been a little harsh. But anyhow, you go into right from Little Green Bag, which is like this fun, like upbeat song, into Mr. Orange wailing in pain in the back of the car. And you don't know what happened. Like, obviously time has passed in between them. Something went wrong. Something definitely went wrong because... There's blood everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like, the whole plot starts to reveal itself. Like, okay, there there was this heist, and who were the players in it? And it's, it all unfolds in this warehouse, which, fun fact, was actually a morgue. That's where they filmed it. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a dank morgue. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was probably a morgue in the past, and they dressed it up right, to yeah, look like an yeah, abandoned no, warehouse. But I always thought that was kind of a cool little fun fact about the movie. Well, this movie was made on the cheap. I, I like the way this movie was filmed, though, because it really it really consolidates like like the time and everything. Like it's all about the characters; it's not so much about the locations. But even with the location Tarantino was using, you still get some really really good shots, uh, like when um, Steve Buscemi's character—I don't remember the character's name, Mister Pink. Mister Pink. And, um, uh, what was it? Harvey Keitel? Is it Har- Harvey Keitel's Harvey character? Harvey Keitel was Mr. White. Mr. White. White. Mr. Yeah. White. When Mr. White and Mr. Pink were going back and forth about what happened, what the fuck, and they were... There's also what I really like, and that was an interesting shot, because they leave the guy outside and they're doing this whole thing and you're looking down the hallway and it's mm-hmm. kind of got the silhouettes, uh, and, you know, they're lighting up cigarettes and it's just very natural, because Tarantino's, I think, very it good was a at conversation. Writing, writing conversation between people. And but I really loved that the interaction. But this is a such a character piece, um, and how the characters interact with each other and where the trust level is. It's really interesting. But it it staged very much like a play. Yeah, that's one of the first things you said after you were done watching. Yeah, yeah. Like this could like easily be turned into. I'm sure it has. But this could easily be turned into a play. Like you need like three sets. You 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 need like the warehouse set. You need, like, the office set, and you need, like, like when they're going around in the car getting chased by the police. You really only need three sets to do this whole movie. Maybe an, maybe an outside for the car and stuff. Yeah, it was very, very minimal. It was very, very minimalistic. But, but, yeah, very I minimal. like that, though, because it mm-hmm. got to the point. Because it was more about the characters. Right. It was, it was less about the plot, and it was like you really come to 
care for the different character stories using very little information about them. When well, there's, you think about it. there's the four, four, I think there's four main characters. The other characters are kind of superfluous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you've got Harvey Keitel as Mr. White. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Steve Buscemi as Mr. Pink. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde, and we haven't talked about him. Oh, Oh. And and you've got um who was who was the kid? Um, Chris Penn was nice guy Eddie. Chris Penn was nice guy Eddie, but I mean, who was the who was the kid who, who was, got shot? Oh, Tim Roth. Oh, the, Mr. 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 Orange. Mr. Orange. Mr. Orange. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Mr. Orange, and he's there on the floor. So you've got basically those four characters mm-hmm. are the crux of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, because Tarantino kills himself off screen. Uh, yeah, he's presumed dead. He's presumed dead. Yeah, all that comes out in dialogue. Like they they can, tell can us we that assume? Mr. Brown. Can we assume that that character goes on to be in um, From Dust Till Dawn? No, because Nice Guy Eddie comes back and says, like, Mr. Brown's dead. Okay. And they're like, how do you know? I just know. I like to pretend it's the same character in From Dust Till Dawn. Okay. Just, you, you could do he that. He just moved you, on from You that. could do this if okay. you want. <laughs> but it's, the, it's those four characters, and, and trust is a big theme here. And, like, mm-hmm. like, and it's, it's cool that they all use pseudonyms because it's like they don't really know each other. And it turns out they don't really know each other at all, and that's that was dangerous. Well, minus um, Eddie knows um, Mister Blonde or Vic Vega. Right, right. Jo- jo- Joe knows all the guys. Yeah, and and, and but Vic, like Vic yeah. and Eddie were friends. Like they, there was that whole throwback scene where they're wrestling in the office. Right. Yeah. Like they exactly. Up, they like, they together. obviously they obviously mm-hmm. are close. They're friends. But then it comes down to because they're using pseudonyms. Like, how well do you really know people? Yeah. It. it, it the whole the whole thing is about trust, and it's it's Which, brilliantly done. If we want to jump ahead right to the end, and like that ending scene, it's Hamlet. Yeah, everyone dies. Spoilers, you already knew. Spoilers about everyone dies <laughs> except my favorite actor. Um, but he walked outside to lots of gunfire. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I like to think he got away with the diamonds. I would love to think. I'd love to that think Steve Buscemi. Got away with the diamonds. Yes, I, I hope Steve Buscemi is living on an island right now with all his diamond money <laughs> and just sipping margaritas. <laughs> but yeah, trust is such a huge, a huge part of this whole movie, and it's really interesting the way they use pseudonyms as a way to protect themselves. But I think in the end, that actually just ended up like hampering mm-hmm. themselves because they didn't, they didn't know each other. They talked about the most superfluous stuff, and I don't think there was ever really a trust there because then you also have the unreliable narration. Where they talk about what happened, what the what happened at the bank, yeah, and you get you get bits and pieces, you, but you get throughout. several different perspectives mm-hmm. um, of what happened through like, dialogue alone. Like we, yeah, we yeah. didn't see anything that happened at the diamond store. You never see the inside of the diamond store. There's one shot of like this door and this unmarked building, but it's it's just all dialogue done so. Perfectly, in my opinion. Perfectly. The, the, yeah. the casting was inspired. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, really good character actors mm-hmm. who, who really understand their craft. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, I think, about this movie is, is you've got professionals, professionals in this film. Yeah, some things were improvised, like the whole when Vic talks to the ear that he just cut off mm-hmm. of the cop. Like, that was completely improvised. Movie. Was it? Yeah. See, that would be interesting. I'd love to know more. Like, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for this whole production because just... Being around this this cast of actors, really, really cool. Like, just mm-hmm. very, very method 
it in I don't know if they're method actors or what, but I could see Steve Definitely character actors. I could see Steve Buscemi being a bit of a method actor because he really gets into his characters like mm-hmm. if you haven't no watched No matter if it's this or an Adam Sandler movie. Or if you haven't watched <laughs> Which is true, he's the best part of Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> or if you haven't watched Boardwalk Empire, he's he's mm-hmm. very method in that. He really he really embodies that. Yeah, character. I've seen some of it. It's not my favorite, but We'll talk about that maybe another time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, no, it's the so, trust is a huge issue with this, and I really like that that's, that that's a thing. Like, how well do you know somebody? You know what they tell you, mm-hmm. but is that really who they because, are? Because, like, then we we haven't even talked about the cop on the inside. Mr. Orange. Mr. Orange. Spoilers. <laughs> he He's the cop on the inside. You, you gotta stop saying spoilers at some point. <laughs> like, it, it was made in 1992, if you haven't seen it. Go see it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Steven recommends it after waiting 20 plus years to watch the film. Well, well, Anyhow. Uh, yeah. What was my point? Oh, the cop on the inside. Mr. Arch. Like, Because you're talking about trust. And he was able, as an undercover cop, to gain these criminals' trust. Well, he got Mr. White. Oh, to say... Harvey Keitel. Yeah. He got Mr. White under his thumb. I don't think the other characters necessarily trusted each other. Uh, Harvey Keitel, Mr. White was... No, really... he needed to gain a certain amount of trust to get in on the job. No, he no. gained the trust of Joe to be hired. Right, exactly. But even Joe said he was like on the fence about him. Harvey Keitel was 100%. Yeah. Like, like, this guy took a bullet. He is my guy. He is mm-hmm. on my side. Yeah, and, and, and like, Steve Buscemi like, was like, come on, use your head. Like, it could be anybody. And, and Right, exactly. But, I mean, this all could have been solved if you just let the guy die. Nothing bad would have happened. Um, they probably may have gotten away with it. I know the cops were waiting for Joe to show mm-hmm. up. But they may have gotten away with it if that guy died. Interesting thing there, though, is Mr. Mr. Orange, Tim Roth's character, went through quite an arc just in the flashbacks. It yeah. almost departed esque. No, I okay. In, in the way he got into the character, and the way he I kind of the that. way he kind of embodied it, and he he did take he took an innocent person's life. He did the, he the sh- woman. He shot that woman in the car, and the look on his face was just like he had crossed that line. And I think that's what that's that's what got Mister Mister White's trust. I think is when he shot that woman. Like, he believed it, but that was never really brought up, and the other guys weren't there to see it. So it's interesting, different perspectives. There was also the conversation about, like, oh my god, Mr. Blonde, why would they hire that psychopath? And then you have Mr. White talking about, like, yeah, you might have to take somebody's life in our line of work, but it's not like you ever take any enjoyment in it, or you want to do it. Right, yeah, yeah, Mr. White is like... Not the voice of reason, but he's like the moral compass. Mm-hmm. He, he's like the moral compass. He's obviously older, wiser. Like, you can tell him and Joe have a lot of respect for each other as, as both wizened old yeah. gangsters. Um, and they have a whole history. Because even, I think it was him who took the book from Joe in the in the diner. He's like, I'd give this back to you when you're done. Or would you stop <laughs> looking at the fucking book, Joe? And And you can tell Joe does not put up with shit. But he puts up with shit from him. Yeah. So, so obviously there's a level of respect there, and it's done all through dialogue. Really, really well done. Again, Tarantino, top of the line. It's so very smart. It's just so smartly done. I mean, with Tarantino, you're also going to get, like, the gratuitous violence. I love the gratuitous violence. Django. Apparently, apparently Wes Craven didn't. When they showed this at Sundance, he walked out of the theater. Wes Craven, of all people, really. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because it was, you didn't really see that much, like, cutting off an ear is pretty yeah. grotesque. Well, like, I have a hard time every time I watch it. I think the way it was done was very real. It wasn't, like, necessarily as over the top. Like, like, like the shootout in Django, and I love Django. But the shootout in Django was so pulpy and over the top that it was yeah. almost cartoony. Yeah. Which is what you're going for. Yeah. Because it was great. Because I think if you did that realistically, it would have been just so brutal. I think Tarantino's very good at riding that line. But he obviously went for psychopath in this movie. Because you're trying to yes. get across the point that Vic is a secret sociopath. No. Well, coming from a therapy background, it would be classified as antisocial personality disorder. Uh, and it's what... nut job. Can we just say nut job? He's a nut job. <laughs> well, I would like to use the correct terminology, and that, that's just me. But uh, <laughs> I'm going from this at at a different angle. But sure. yeah, I think he does portray the difference between we'll just simplify and say psychopath and sociopath um, in this film. And like I've been saying, it is a character piece. It and is he's showing it is. like. Like, there's different types of criminals. And... I was just going to make that exact point. I was going to say each each person in this film, you know, all the colors seem to represent a different kind of criminal. You know, where you've got mm-hmm. you've got Steve Steve Buscemi, who is the professional. Mm-hmm. He is Quote the, unquote. but but he is the get the job done. Think about things logically. Be objective. Don't let your emotions get in the way. Get out. Mm-hmm. Um. He's the professional. Uh, you've got Michael Michael Madsen, who is just the wild card. Uh, he's obviously been in the business for a while. He just spent two years in jail. And he didn't rat. He didn't rat. Which is which important. Is, which is Eddie's big point at the end. He didn't rat. Mm-hmm. And they were close. At the same time, he seems to be a criminal because he enjoys the violence. Um, mm-hmm. He enjoys the the destruction of being a criminal. Steve Buscemi doesn't seem to enjoy the destruction, but but he's like amoral about it. He's like, if it happens, it happens. That's cool. I want mine. You know, he's like the selfish character that even shows up when they're talking about the tipping in the beginning because he doesn't tip, <laughs> and it kind of but it kind of shows his character. That was a good connection. He's cold, I like that. He's cold and he's calculated, mm-hmm. but he's not insane. Um, because it's funny because even nice even um. Not nice guy, Eddie. Even um, Vic, you know, Michael Madsen's Mr. Blonde, was saying, you got to tip these ladies, man. They don't make any money. Yeah. So, so obviously, he's kind of detached from the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he necessarily goes out looking for violence, but I think he will destroy anyone he feels is crossing him. Right. You know, he, he's, he's very self-preserved like that. He's like, because he even said at the bank, like, well, if she, the bitch would have just kept her mouth shut. You know, she'd still be alive. And it's very cold and calculated. And then you've got Harvey Keitel, Mr. White, who was great. And he's he's the, like, the old-timey, like... You said moral compass earlier, which I think is a good... Yeah, yeah, he, he's like the old-timey respect, mm-hmm. you know, honor, tradition type of gangster. Like, I would say in The Godfather, like, like, like um, Vito Corleone's character, you know, when he's younger. You know that's a film I haven't seen. You, you stop giving <laughs> we'll, me that face. We're, we're going to get to that later we'll, on in we'll, this we'll, podcast. We'll get to it, but I'm making the connection for the audience. <laughs> I would say he's like a younger Vito Corleone, where he 
he understands that it's not about violence, it's about respect, it's about maybe about family for him, because he seems to have a father-son relationship with Mr. Blonde, where he's worried about the kid, he gives the kid information that he shouldn't, um, you know, he breaks the rules because he feels a bond with this kid, mm-hmm. and at the end, the the look of just anguish on his face, when, when the kid reveals that he's that he's a cop it was just was just he couldn't even shoot him in the end either even once he did know the was, truth i thought he did see they they there was gunfire i thought he pulled the trigger i, I know it was off screen well we could talk about it that it's kind of like what's in the, it's kind of like what's in the box in pulp fiction Oh yeah, because like he, it's like the thing that you don't know what it is. There's a lot of unknowns at the end of it. Like, yeah. One, who shot Eddie? Because that doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. But I think that was like a um, when they were filming somebody's like what do they call those packs of blood? Like, oh, the, the blood packs. Yeah. Yeah. Blood packs. Like I think Mr. White's went off beforehand. Like Mr. White was supposed to shoot Joe and then Eddie, but then like he got shot before like it was it was a mistake in filming that they never corrected i think was the story behind that but um yeah but then everything happens off screen like white holds orange again and the big reveal is there oh sorry um so white holds orange again and there's that big reveal that mr orange is really a cop and he feels bad and he like has to tell him before they die and he's still fighting he's still fighting that that trust but I trusted you and I would like to think that because of that because of that moral compass he still couldn't do it in the end he still couldn't I think he shot him Mm. I, I, I think he shot him because I think the whole thing that ends up happening in the end is is I think I think Mr. White realizes that he's just thrown everything away it's kind of like a bad relationship He's just thrown everything away, trusting uh, this kid who turned out to be a cop. Trusting the wrong guy. He literally shot one of his best friends in Joe. Because they have that rapport. Maybe not best friends, but one of his most respected business partners, I guess you could say. They, they seem to have a friendship. Uh, they, they're old school. They're old timers. He shot one of his best friends to protect you know, that kid. And I don't know. I don't know how you would deal with that. Like going on, knowing that that you did that. So I don't know. I kind of feel like he did pull the trigger at the end. And, and that's what also makes this film so brilliant is the you don't knows, the you don't knows, and it's left up to the viewer. And I love endings like that, as opposed to Die Hard, where you know exactly what happened and then all the good guys live and. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end a Reservoir Dogs conversation. I've seen it. I I highly recommend it. I, I would watch it again. I think it was fun. Again, I I knew a lot of what happened in Die Hard already. It, because it's, it was made in 92 and you haven't seen it until 2016. True. It's not something I went into cold. Some of these movies I think we're going to get to in future podcasts are things that I don't know anything about. Okay. But, but I think this is such an ubiquitous film, like in, in the style of... In in just the its cultural impact 
that it's hard not to know, especially for somebody who follows film. Oh, 100%. Like, you have to know all those little snippets. Right, right. You you, you get yeah. what was going on in the music aspect. And shout out to oh, Stephen we Wright. We didn't even talk about how great the music was. The music was great. Shout out to Stephen Wright as the DJ. Tarantino mm-hmm. always uses great okay, music. Hey, Billy, Sounds of the 70s, the overarching voice. Tarantino uses great music. He's amazing at putting yeah. music to his stuff, so really wow, good. Ah! Let's that was a good conversation. I want to keep talking about it. We don't have all day. We got to keep. We got to keep this under eight hours. Let's try to do it in six. <laughs> Die Hard is the greatest action film ever made. Wow. Die Hard is the greatest because it is the most perfect action film ever made. John McTiernan is a good director. He okay. direct, He directed Predator and a couple other action movies, but. Really good. I, I found I find him to have a really good eye. He used color really well, um, and and a lot of the shots were interesting for action films. Okay, for for action, I think there might be better action films. Let's say The Bourne Identity. No. Okay. Well, we could. Argue he about is that. immortal in that film. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's just. I mean, when I first saw it. A film that I really had no interest in seeing, but, like, I get all the references, like, yippee ki motherfucker, and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is exactly what I expected it to be. How could it, it not? It's an 80s action film. No, no, it's the 80s action film. See, that's the thing. I, I will give you it is the 80s action film, but greatest action film of all time. Because, and here, here's the reason... When you're looking at this in 2016, you have, what, 20 years? Yeah. More than 20 years? It was made in 88, 1988. 88, so 28 years almost? Yeah. Yeah, 20, 27 years, 27, 28 years. Since it came out, you have that many years of film that have come out since Die Hard. That have used Die Hard as a template for what they did. Because there wasn't, before Die Hard, Die Hard. There, there wasn't a template for Die Hard before Die Hard. If, if you get what say, I'm saying Say Die here. Hard one more time. Just I think you need one more Die do you, Hard. Do you dare me to say Die Hard one more time? I dare you to say Die Hard one more time. Anyhow, no, I... I mean, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I love seeing Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, let's actually let's talk about Alan Rickman for a second. Um, Alan Rickman is amazing in everything that he does. Oh. In everything that he does, and and Alan Rickman will be missed. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to start off with this because we lost Alan Rickman this week. And just huge shout out, huge fan, great in everything, such a good character actor. And Hans Gruber is one of the Best film characters ever. Ever. Maybe not top five, but maybe he's top a, maybe top there. 20. He does he's, a really good job with the character. What he does with his facial and, expressions mm-hmm. and just the way he carries himself. And he's so smarmy. And, and then when he loses his cool, it's great too. Like, he's just, he's good at, just good. Hans Gruber is amazing. But, I mean, a little background on Die Hard. So we'll start there. Die Hard 88, John McTiernan. Uh, it's actually based on a novel. Did you know that? I did not It is know based that. on a novel. It is based, it is based on Roderick Thorpe's Nothing Lasts Forever. Which is a sequel to his first novel, The Detective. 
hold on, this is going to blow your mind, which was made into a movie in 1968 and starred Frank Sinatra. So Bruce Willis is playing a character originally played by Frank Sinatra in the movie The Detective. So technically Die Hard has a prequel. Okay. Technically, I... Die Hard, the, the novel is apparently similar. He's trapped in a building. There's a there's a robbery going on. I don't know much about it. I haven't read it. It's changed. It was his daughter instead of his wife because the Sinatra character is a lot older. Okay. Uh, he's like 60 in the books. Oh. Like he does this whole thing when he's like 60 in the books. Is he barefoot in the books too? I think they actually do do the barefoot thing. I, I really did enjoy that aspect of it. Like he's, well, he's really stacked against all odds, including that he has no shoes. Well, here's what I, here's what I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause here's what I love about Die Hard and why I think it's the greatest action film ever made. The main character in this film does not have superpowers. And. Every action film, even if they're not, like, a superhero film, the main character has main character abilities. There's a little bit of this in that because you have to for narrative convenience, but what I mean is Jean-Claude Van Damme never gets hit. Steven Seagal never takes a shot. Arnold Schwarzenegger can stand there in the middle of people with a machine gun just spraying them and they miss. John McClane is scared to death in over his head and constantly getting the crap kicked out of him. Mm-hmm. He is in a bad way. He, I mean, there is a little bit of it. Like, jumping off of a skyscraper using only a, what, a fire hose to hold you up? But it barely works. But that's the thing. But it still works. Like, that would never fucking work in real life. But he didn't have a choice, and that's the thing. It was either that or get shot or get blown up. But they do, like, I guess he does, like, go, like, oh, my dear God, like, this is never going to work. What the hell am I doing? Like, there's always, like, that little piece of him talking to himself. Yeah, which is great. The the Mm -hmm. little, yeah. I feel like I'm being hard on it. Um, Are, Are you saying you're being die hard on it? No, I, I would not say that, actually. I just said it. Yeah, I, I heard it. I said it out but, loud. <laughs> um, to people I do listening. feel like I'm being being hard on it, because I think it, there is, like, a an element of cheese to it. Not as much as other films, definitely I, I'll not. admit, there, there's parts that don't work. I, I, I think, and I love um, uh, Paul Gleason, uh, the, the deputy chief Dwayne Robinson, but I think he's such <laughs> a stupid character. Uh, he really is. He's, he's, he, it's great because he's someone for Carl Winslow to tell to shut up. Carl Winslow has a name, and it's Reginald... Yeah, you say it. His Reginald... name is Carl Winslow. He always plays Carl Winslow. Vel Johnson. Vel Johnson. He is Johnson. playing Reginald... Carl Winslow in this film. But I feel like we, we do a disservice to, to actors who get typecast in Carl's I bet he is thrilled to death to have been Carl Winslow. <laughs> I love Family Matters. He's still, I love Family Matters, too. We could talk okay. about that. Uh, but, yeah, the, the characters are are fun Vulnerable. and very... Yeah. And, Vulnerable. And, but there's a lot of one-note characters, too. Like, the FBI agents, they're so one-note. They're like, we're going to take it over and <laughs> well, there's we're going to talk about killing civilians like it's nothing because we're Because well, it's, it's the 80s, and the 80s was very anti-establishment. Yeah. 80s movies, we could talk about this in a, the whole podcast... 80s movies were very anti-establishment. They didn't trust anybody. They didn't trust the government. They didn't trust cops. You know, all the all the action films in the 80s were either, like, kids going up against the government 
like in War Games or Real mm-hmm. Genius or or any of those films, or it's it's cops going up against the government. But the government's always bad in eighties films, which is kind of cool. Right. It's it's kind of it kind of reflects that Reagan era, like like mm-hmm. no, we don't trust the government; they're bad, which is fine. Even Ghostbusters has a little bit of that because William Atherton. Who's great in this as well, William? Because he's he's the biggest dick on the planet in every film he's in, and he's kind of the same, almost the same character in Ghostbusters. Oh, like yeah, but definitely but, that yeah. one note. I only have one thing to accomplish. I'm, I'm here never to be a gonna dick. take. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna take anything else into account. Yeah, right. Type thought. Um, but I mean, like that's why I said it's it's what mm-hmm. I expected it's like those one note characters on a mission but there are a lot of redeeming things to it number one I think being Alan Rickman Alan Rickman's great Hans Gruber is great it was the, a really the whole way good villain just so good he's a great villain and he's so he's cold he's calculated he doesn't get rattled until the end yeah like he starts getting rattled when things come unraveled and it's great. But but even to the end, he's just very strict on the prize. Um, but yeah, no, Die Hard, man trapped in building, must fight terrorists. I love that the terrorists are all pretty white, by the way. Because yeah. this, this was the 80s when, when terrorists were like Western Europeans. Um, yeah. So. Things have changed. Things have changed. Things have changed in the intervening 30 years. Back, back when like, yeah, back when like the Eastern Bloc, they were, that's where the terrorists lived. But Alan Rickman's great. Bruce Willis, by the way, this is his. This is this is what made him an action star. He was in Moonlighting before this. He was a soap star. He was in soap operas, you know. And I think originally this this movie was pitched to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, can God. you imagine that? That would have been awful. They actually pitched it to him as a sequel to Commando. It would. They would have had to change the script around, obviously, but it would have been terrible. It wouldn't have worked. This works. Been awful. This works for the same reason Terminator works, mm-hmm. Be- because the main character is vulnerable, and like an everyman, and against the odds. Like if you look at future action movies, even the Bourne Identity, which you brought up as maybe a better action movie, Jason Bourne is not an everyman. He's a highly trained, super crazy. I can kill anything, even if they're pointing a gun at me. Guy but from a close distance, which is fine. But I think it's unrelatable. I think a lot of a lot of people can see themselves as John McClane. He's on the rocks with his relationship. He's got kids he really hasn't seen in a while. He's yeah. maybe not the best cop in the world. He's all right. He's afraid of change. You know, the the whole thing is very normal. He's just a cop. He has normal conversations with people. You know, he he's not just there's no like there's no, oh, it's John McClane. He's a New York cop. He's just a New York cop. Yeah, but he used to be a Navy SEAL. There's none of that stuff in there. Where it's like he had special forces training you're, or something. You're selling me on it. You're selling me on it more and more. And mm-hmm. I, I think I did come into it with this preconceived notion that it's that it's Die Hard. And everybody loves Die Hard because it's this action movie. and like, But watching it, there are a, a lot of redeeming to it. Oh, no, yeah, no. I I completely think that yes. I that agree yes. I I agree <laughs> that yes. But I, I I I agree with you that <laughs> that there are clichés in there, but, but again, you have to keep in mind over the last 30 years, a lot of those things weren't necessarily clichés when it came out in 88. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like when we look at Citizen Kane, which you haven't seen. Um 
A lot of things in Citizen Kane are going to seem like cliches to you because they have been copied so much in the intervening years um, that that they've, like, going back and watching it now, you're like, well, then this was done in this and this was done in this. And yes. But well, you I, could I, even go back to Shakespeare and say everything about well, that. Well, story-wise, yes. Yeah, and this yeah, follows a very traditional strategies. story structure. Yeah. Can I talk for a minute about how much I love... Um, the way the movie opens because it gets across so much just with conversations like John McClane doesn't like flying uh, you know the guy he's having a conversation with on the plane you just get insights into his character in the first 15-20 minutes yeah. of the film and you get to meet all the little bit characters a little bit they're given a little bit of business to do and that's great because I think a lot of modern films cut that out and you don't you don't get a feel for the characters before they get into the action, like you you just get the main characters. But like a lot of little bit characters are given roles too. You know, Argyle, a, a lot of the little little helpers that Hans Gruber have. His associates. But it's still not too much exposition. It's not, but it's not an exposition dump either. Yes, you know, that's a lot. What I, that's what th- I was th- to things say. are told very naturally in this. Yeah. There's there's not a scene like again. I'm going to go back to the Bourne identity where you have to be told like, oh my god, it's Jason Bourne. Who's Jason Bourne? Well, Jason Bourne was a sleeper agent. That blah 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 blah. Jason Bourne. You is don't this. have to be a dick about. No, I like I like the Bourne identity. It's a really good film. I like the Bourne identity, <laughs> except for the fact that the Bourne identity kind of instilled shaky cam in action films for like ten years, yeah. and I hate shaky cam action films. Yeah. But we could talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this There's was great. People to blame for that. Long shots, you know. The action, I think, was very real. It wasn't over choreographed. You know, the fist fights were just really brutal. You know, they're wrestling around. This is how fights would really go. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they fell downstairs. They're going through walls. You know, just jumping on people's backs. And he's not immortal. He's just like he's like. You can tell through the whole movie. He's just so exasperated by the whole thing, and he's just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but. We're going to see what we can get across here. and But the way the film tells you information about what's going on is really good. Mm-hmm. It seems like, natural. It you, comes out natural. Right. You hear about the detonator, but you don't know what they're for. You don't know what the plan is. Uh, you, you, you see all this stuff that they're doing, but you don't know why. And something, when we just watched this uh, recently, and you for the first time, but I hadn't seen this movie in several years, one of the things I noticed is that this movie foreshadows everything really well. And I hadn't really noticed it before, but when you think about it, like, why is John McClane barefoot? It's because of the conversation he had with the guy on the plane at the beginning. He had that conversation that was like, you know what I like to do? I go to my hotel room and I take off my shoes and I just, I make fists with my toes on the carpet. So he's, he's doing that. He's walking around when they, when they come in and he's making, he's, he's got his shoes off because he's doing that whole thing that guy told him to. When he has, he has the lighter in the vent and it's not like, we're not told that, oh, he just has the lighter. He picks it up off the guy. You know, and, and then it shows up later on. There's or a, even the, when she put the picture frame down. When she put the picture frame down, there's so much stuff that happens that you don't think about. But then later on, it really wraps back around and kind of ties into the story. You know, like the chick's pregnant and like, oh, are you doing? And then later on, that becomes a point. Mm-hmm. You know, when she's talking about the terrorists. Or what's his name characters? You know, snorting the coke. Um, what's his name? Ellis, Harry Ellis. Uh, when he's doing the coke thing, and and all the different characters, and Carl and his brother, um, who gets killed by John McClane. You know, that becomes a plot point. 
that they had like a, they even had that point where he's like cutting through the wires with a chainsaw and he gives him like that that exasperated look like oh my god what are you doing and he's like smiling cuz they're brothers and they have like that brotherly thing and it's it's very small but you kind of notice it mm-hmm. but i i like the way all the characters react but I, all the foreshadowing isn't necessarily something i noticed before like like when he loses his shoes or when um when Hans Grimmer picks the name off the board, that was a brilliant scene. Like, their interaction was so good when Hans is pretending to be um, William Clay and he's doing his American accent. And that, he's, that, was, that was great. That was so brilliant. Like, that that's, was great. Oh, like, because there's that moment where he's on the ground and Bruce Willis is over him and he's like, how am I going to play this? Right, yeah. Like, it, oh, I'll pretend to be a hostage. It just goes to show you the, the, the brilliant mind of, like, the, the actual villain. Like, he, he's quick enough on his feet to really think about it. But it also shows you that John McClane is also not stupid. Yeah. Because he's not smart enough to give him an unloaded gun. Or a loaded gun, for that matter. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he's not like smart that. enough to give him a loaded gun. But he is smart enough to look at the sign when he gives him his name. You know, which is interesting. Because he's like, what's your name? And you can see Hans Gruber's face freeze for a second. When he's like, I'm John McClane. And you can see him be like, I'm... Clay, Bill. And he doesn't use William either. He uses Bill, which is just brilliant writing. Because you can see that it says W.M. Clay on the, on the sign there. And it's really, really good. There's a lot of little things like that that, that kind of tie into the whole thing. Like, and I don't, I don't know if it's a lost art of filmmaking or just, that, or just that McTierman is a really good filmmaker. But a lot of times in films, I think maybe modern films more so, you kind of miss those little touches that kind of tie the film together. It's like the glue that holds the film together. You know, consistencies, script consistencies and stuff. Really cool to see that little stuff. But I love Die Hard. So, I told you before we started this podcast that I was going to ask you a a question. question. What is the The question question that breaks the internet? (laughs) Okay, what is it? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Thank you. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I completely agree with you. I mean, like, I... People will say it's not, but I, I think it's a Christmas film. I mean, it's also an action film, but it's an action a film, film can be more than one thing. Yes. I think you built that question up a little bit too much. I, but, but people argue about this. This is like, <laughs> this is a big thing. Like, if you want to break forums, you can talk, and, and big publications have listed Die Hard as like their favorite Christmas movie. I, and it creates I would say yes. It's built up like it's Christmas Eve. He's coming home for Christmas. Um... They're going to rekindle things because it's Christmas and it's the holidays, so forgive and forget, but there's complications there. There's Christmas trees like, in every there's, shot. There's, the there's best, some music. There's the best Christmas reference. What? Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Which oh, is, yeah. That's which is great. awesome. Yeah. And then we get, uh, oh, what's the rap song they play in the beginning? Oh, it's uh, Run DMC, Christmas and Hollis, I think yeah. is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so you, ahead of its time in 1988, having rap in a film. I mean, how much hip-hop was really in films back then? Yeah, they use, uh, that's a connection between our two films today, is the use of music. Yeah, let's get films. to connections. Let, let's see mm-hmm. what connected our films today, because, you know, there won't always be a connection when we're doing these films, because there's a lot of disparate genres that we're going to be covering. Mm-hmm. But I think I think these two films have a lot of interesting similarities that I didn't think about when we 100%. picked them. Yeah. It, it's that, one... They're both about heists that have gone horribly wrong. Horribly. For, one, for one reason or another. <laughs> in, in Reservoir Dogs, you have one of the criminals just going crazy. 
in Die Hard, you kind and, of... And an inside man. In Die Hard, you... And an inside man. Mm-hmm. Both cops. Not mm-hmm. actually part of the gang, but in the wrong place and just, you know, getting beat up at the same time. That being said, I think Mr. Blonde and... Oh, Carl. Was it Carl? Yeah, Carl. The the big Swedish guy. Mr. Blonde um, and Carl both screw up the heist. Because if you remember in the beginning of Die Hard, Hans Gruber... Oh, that's cool. Hans Gruber said, yeah, he's like, he's like we just could have kept him contained, but you couldn't... You couldn't just let well enough alone. Like, we could have kept them contained in the elevator shaft. It wouldn't have been an issue, but you just, you had to go crazy. You know, you had to go nuts. You had to shoot stuff up. And, you know, you just had to do this whole thing. And we had it contained, and you couldn't control yourself. And Mr. White is kind of the same way. They're both, they both get lost in, like, their, their emotion when it comes to the job. They, they, both, they both lose their cool. And I think both movies are kind well, of about they... when a heist goes wrong when you lose your cool. Yeah, um... Yeah, Mr. Blonde loses his cool, Carl loses his cool, and thing, things kind of tumble out of control from there. So that's a connection, which is kind of interesting. And the music. The music. The music both, is so great in Reservoir Dogs. It's like, it's the b- best part. Both scores, <laughs> I think both scores are really good. Die Hard does a really good job of juxtaposing, like, Beethoven's Ninth, Singing in the Rain... You know, um, let it snow. All the Christmas music and stuff, and it's it's a more it's a more traditional score because it's more orchestral, and there, there's more sound cues with what's going what what's going on in the film. Like you'll have something happen, and it'll be like, dun, 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 dun. but it'll, it'll it's more subdued, and I, I, um, it it makes a it's more subdued not than Reservoir Dogs, but then a lot of other action films. Oh yeah, I, have, I, I can't stand horrible action films and their overuse of like the. The dramatic thing, like when we're supposed to definitely be feeling mm-hmm. this, like I, I more like the those subtle tones, and I think yeah. Die Hard did do that well. Yeah, yeah, and the music, I, I love the way they use they they constantly use the, the whole thing is just yeah, so yeah. great, mm-hmm. really good with Beethoven's Ninth. Um, again, those are the connections on the film. I, I love them both. I, I think Die Hard might be more rewatchable. What? Well, Die Hard has been on TV. Since Die Hard came out. It's a Christmas staple. You can't show Reservoir Dogs on TV. They say the F word 269 times. come on. Because Die Hard isn't able to be edited out. I mean, not as much swearing, obviously. How would you be able to put 269 fucks on TV? That's a good good name for a podcast, 269 fucks. (laughs) 296 fucks given. Okay. Well, I think I think we've looked at both these films. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I mean, final final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is by far a greater film. Um... <laughs> it's it's not a. It doesn't have to be a compare and contrast. Oh come on! This is totally a competition. Reservoir Dogs um, is in my um, in my world is is a better. film film that's not saying that i I don't disagree i don't dislike die hard yeah i enjoyed it it was very fun i think next christmas we should watch it together again we'll watch die hard too we'll watch die hard again die hard is such a great christmas film that's how i kind of grew up with die hard because i didn't see it in the theaters but when i I was seven years old when die hard came out but but like it became like a christmas staple like it would be on every year in our house and we got the box set and stuff and it was just great but yeah i um I, I, uh, Reservoir Dogs is a better film. 
I won't make fun of people when they bring up Die Hard or make fun of the movie. Like, and now you get all the references. Yeah, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I totally get the references now. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and well, there's more than that. I mean, there's so many Die Hard references. <laughs> but, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a brilliant episode. But to wrap it up, Reservoir Dogs is the better film and you should have seen it. I should have seen it. I, I am, I am amazed that I didn't see it. Uh, it's just—it's one of those too. things that goes under the radar, and you never see it. But again, this is what this is about: self-discovery. Self-discovery. Yes, very much so. And discovering each other. But I mean, there's a lot of movies on our list that I have right here that we haven't seen. So I, there's a lot of interesting stuff on here, and we'll get to all of them uh, at some point. Eventually, we'll get to all of them. But as for right now, guys, that was the first episode of You Haven't Seen. Thank uh, you for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to contact us. All the information's on the website. If you want to email us, it's youhaven'tseen at gmail.com. That's the letter U, haven't seen at gmail.com because somebody had the other one. And same thing on Twitter, the exact same thing, You Haven't Seen. Also hit us up on our website, which hopefully we'll have up and running. Um, Any day and- now. And and just feel free to follow us. Hit us up with some feedback if you if you have any ideas or if you think the format could be changed a little bit or if you like certain movies that you want to throw at us and we'll play them off each other and see uh, how that works with one of us having not seen it or maybe we haven't seen it in a long time. We could do it. Yeah, because we've all been in this situation. We've all been talking to a friend or a loved one and all of a sudden they tell you, oh, I haven't seen that. And then you get into these types of arguments. So uh, if you've had one of those conversations, please share it with us. We anyway, would love to know. Absolutely. Guys, again, thanks for listening. Thoughts and prayers go out to um, Alan Rickman and his family. Um, huge loss for just the film community, actors in general. Just really, really a great actor. If you haven't seen Die Hard, I think you owe it to yourself too, just for his performance. And I think... Yeah, for anything. And Reservoir Dogs was great also. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in the future, we'll be looking at movies that probably aren't going to be this great. So this is probably the really positive episode if you haven't seen. So again, guys, thanks for listening. I'm Steven. And I'm Alicia. And I'm Alicia. And this is, has been the You Haven't Did Seen podcast. Did you just podcast. say, and I'm Alicia? Let's do that again. <laughs> I kind of liked it. In. <laughs> <laughs>